So everyone, welcome to Docking Request Denied. Uh, this could go either way and turn into a massive car crash or something with vast amounts of immersion. Oh, yes. You like that word? Um, okay, so we're going to open up a can of worms about fleet carriers uh, today, I think. Um, but also in the game in general, uh, particularly some of the design decisions that have led us here in the first place. Um, with me tonight is Natalie Wright, Yamix, who is the idea, um, Drew Wagger, Phil Harris, and myself. Who's, so, who's Drew, Drew Wagger? <laughs> is that not you? Or is, oh, have I just mispronounced your name? British and mispronounced? No way. Oh, it never happens, no. Oh, I, 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 I'll, I'll let you off. I'll let you off, my friend. It's, it's Wagar. Oh, Wagar. Oh, that sounds very much like Hagar the Horrible, isn't it? it was. Yeah. Hagar um, the Wasteful. <laughs> so, uh, fleet, fleet carriers then. There's a bit of a roller coaster there already. Who wants to pick that one up first? Yamix. No, what you want from me, really? But okay, <laughs> let's see. Um, fleet carriers, the grand big money sink, essentially, what developers are releasing is uh, coming to a lead dangerous around the June of uh, this year. Um, it's been in development since uh, Frontier Expo, or rather, it was announced on Frontier Expo 2017, October 7th. I remember that day quite clearly because I you know, was present at the time and uh, met some wonderful folks. And the announcement itself was a clusterfuck of a basically what, essentially. The question of what. And the answers were really never given. And the results, uh, squadrons and fleet carriers, it seems going to be basically a train wreck. Yeah, fun times. So who's next? I, I was I was at... Um... I was at Expo 2017 as well. I remember being launched. Remember, I, and I remember thinking, well, that's, you know, fair enough. <laughs> it's some big ships, some mega ships you can actually fly. Um, and I thought that was quite a good idea. But that was quite a long time ago now, right? <laughs> when was oh, the Expo? Yes. Was, it, was it October or September? Or it was October 7th, 2017. Yeah, so I remember that day quite yeah. clearly, yes. Yeah, yeah, a long, long time ago. And it was due... First, the first time we saw a trailer was last summer. Uh, it was during the late, or rather, just before LaveCon because they accidentally leaked it themselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was wonderful uh, display of PR. Nah, so have you I, found it so far? Yeah, I was well, very peeved at the uh, the announcement of um, of fleet carriers because they were originally going to be something to do with um, squadrons, and that's how what we were led to believe when we were at Frontier Expo. Um, now, obviously, there's more we can come on to later because there's some hot off the press news has just come out of changes to fleet carriers. But as they were, I just found them unworkable in the uh, the game, and more just like a trophy to appease the people who had oodles of cash. The top one percent of um, passenger liners, no, sorry, uh, in the game, um, and it just seemed like they they just served no purpose. Do you think the um, do you think the fleet carriers are a, a, a kind of strange workaround for the lack of a real in-player economy 
in some aspects, especially now you can actually, well, players could potentially run their own um, on a fleet carrier. I think so. Um, I think that's what they were trying to be because they could be that. They could be a player-driven economy, but I would like to see somebody make money out of them <laughs> because I can't see how you can. I mean, you have to buy this, the bits and pieces that you want to put in your carry in blocks, which is odd. Um, you know, why can't you buy um, just one anaconda if that's all you can afford? Because it seems that you have to buy them in blocks of ships and blocks of modules, which is rather unusual. And if you are the proud owner of a fleet carrier, surely the idea is that you could um, you could make a profit out of that. And you know how you had uh, multi-crew and your crew take a cut of your profit? Well, why don't the crew of the fleet carrier take a cut of the profit you make from the fleet carrier so you don't actually have to log into the game every time to uh, pay? Yeah. <laughs> what you have to do i think that's the biggest bone of contention apart from the fact that everything's too expensive it's this forcing you to log you feel you have to log into the game or we're going to take your fleet carrier away and even though they've reduced it dramatically in the latest update there is still it's not as much it's still there and it's it's like well did you why have you just left it as a token thing What's the point? If you've, if it's so token amount, why not just build it into the mechanics of the game? Take it out your profits. You you give 30% of your any profit from the fleet carrier to the fictitious NPCs. And the more modules you have on board the ship, uh, you might give up to 75% of your profit away. I know it's not necessarily realistic, but it, it means you have to work harder to have those modules. But if you're not in the game, crucially, it doesn't matter. You can I think that's a really that's that's a really good point actually because um, this is the first time we've had a you know a kind of um, you can lose an asset by not logging into the game right I mean we you can lose your um, reputation with power play um, you know if you don't keep that up but this is the first time you've been threatened with losing an asset right losing a thing that you've spent some money on. <laughs> Power play, my friend. Power yeah, play. Well, power play. Yeah, power play. I was kind of, uh, yeah, but that's not an asset, right? That's just that's just your influence. It's but a bonus that you're potentially going to yeah, be losing, right. you rather you than the module a, that you bought. Yeah, if you get a prismatic shield generator, you don't lose that if you fail to deliver some. You lose the access and, of course, the bonus. So. Yes, you lose the ability to to um to get it. Yeah, but you don't you don't lose a thing, right? <laughs> Especially something you spent five billion credits on. <laughs> Is power play still a thing? Yeah, well, to some people, I mean, there are dedicated uh, BGS players, so probably someone plays power play? Question mark. Well, is I mean, it, it doesn't the BGS is a giant question mark anyway? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I certainly don't. So, uh. I mean, it it really interestingly follows the premium sports car model where uh, there are certain brands of Ferrari and other like car companies where you actually don't own the car. You effectively timeshare it with other people and you can go to the track and like spin it out and give it a run. 
And um, uh, when Nat mentioned a trophy, I, I really, really see them as this sort of trophy wife thing, where when you go to a dinner with your trophy wife and your trophy wife costs a certain amount of money to like uh, make sure that she is the trophy wife and she's the finest person in the room so that everybody talks around about her and then flocks to you because you're obviously wealthy or Uh, foolish. Um, uh, Then you also have this problem that if everybody turns up to this dinner dance with a trophy wife, you're in this significant problem of like people looking at the very, very big, bits of minutiae between which trophy wife is better and so much as the we've got these fleet carriers now and much as people are already predicting that there will be new models of fleet carriers coming and new possibilities what what is going to like push that thing again what what it feels like is it feels like a failed attempt as like Theo was saying to like drain some money out of the economy, but they're doing it in completely the wrong way. In fact, almost if they'd created sort of timeshare fleet carriers where everybody could come in together as a group and run the fleet carrier, people might have actually enjoyed that more. And although they- was an original idea. Yeah, I was, I was gonna say, isn't it, wasn't, 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 weren't we led to believe that fleet carriers were gonna be a squadron based activity? Uh, in Frontier Expo, it was kind of presented or hinted at that. Uh, developers themselves admitted to be like that. So it was like just, uh, they didn't really seem to have an idea what it was when they announced it. Literally back then, uh, my tinfoil hat, you know, uh, conspiracy here is basically like that just in back in the day in Frontier Expo, they announced this big thing uh, or somebody was, you know, tasked at thinking up something they could announce for the Beyond series as the big thing. And, you know, they haphazardly basically came up with, uh, oh, everyone likes, you know, or wants to have a you know, mega ship or, or a station to own. Ah, fuck it, let's give him that. We have nothing to announce. Oh, shit. And this <laughs> idea was born. That was literally my, my perception there. I, like, I just don't, back I don't in the day. It's an odd thing, right? Because, I mean... I don't, I don't know what percentage of play, the player base does have 5 billion credits, but... Uh, um, it's around at least 5, well, 5%, give or take. Um, I've, I've done a couple of surveys and uh, I got Mad yeah. to do one. Now, there are very small samples um, of a couple of hundred. It's, we don't have the stats that Frontier have, but the indications were, um, when asked the simple question, like who has under 500 million, I think, who has what up to 1 billion, who has 1 to 2 billion, who has over 2 billion, 20%, roughly, 20 to 25% of the people who answered had more than 2 billion. So you could argue that less than 20% have 5 billion. And in fact, the 5 billion mark is insignificant because with the with the running costs as they were, it was going to cost an obscene amount of money. And it's even though the carriers were cheaper, it still will cost that to to do and you know they put this into the game as an end game item but they knew full well that everyone was going to want one if they were done well so to say their end game everyone else is just going well i want one but they're a stupid amount of money and we have to pay to run them now i've got an idea as well for i know i understand why frontier have put this mechanic in the game to um decommission it because if somebody buys one and then just leaves it somewhere um what happens to it well you don't have to decommission it you could just make it vanish from the game like um 
or you could re or you could refund the person fully you could sort of say right it comes from the game you get all your money back um but we're going to remove it from the game so it, it's just a gameplay thing not a punishment it's like you know just because you're taking a break from the game or you can have the option of going i want to take my carrier to the mothball system where i'm going to store it you know like those graveyards for aircraft and all the fake carriers get mothballed in there for people who aren't playing and then you get rid of this problem because, yeah, you don't want loads of dead fleet carriers sitting around in the game, cluttering systems up. There's a couple of points there, Nat. One is that you mentioned punishment, which I think, um, Yamix, you've said that word a couple of times, actually. Now, oh, I've, yeah, that's the best way to explain it to a layman, if you will. It's a, it's a punishment system. But, uh, well, decommissioning is only a part. It's uh, a threat, Decommissioning is the threat point, and well, what activates the threat is the upkeep. So yeah, it's the passive part of the threat, and potentially a positive thing because you know, everyone wants to kind of you know maybe get rid of a couple of ships here and there. No one always wants to have you know this this ship or whatnot else, or suddenly they need cash for something, whatever you know, PP or what whatnot else. So yeah, it's uh, it's sort of the the, the result, but even that carries a penalty. Because again, those that don't know, decommissioning is a depreciate, or rather, it has a depreciation aspect to it. So the longer you have it, the less money you get back. Oh yes. <laughs> so I, I want to buy. I want to buy a classic fleet carrier, proper old school one that appreciates. Right, and oh, and it having you know fifty billion worth, not five, like a person. Because they, they they sold it. They sold it on the on on the forums as an investment, right? Now investment right. means a return on my investment. Surely it should be going exactly. Up. <laughs> See, we've got we've got we've got quite a few things coming in from chat actually we've got quite a few people watching now and one thing i'd be interested to garner um opinions about is and this is just my sort of personal opinion it's not necessarily the opinion of these guys here and obviously they will have their own arguments but the why see even though what i was told fleet carries well when i saw them coming into the game and especially with the changes that are coming in i saw fleet carries as a way to let the players create a bubbles all over the place, you know, a hub for explorers out mm -hmm. in the far reaches of space where they can create their own little community with their own commodity market. And it doesn't matter that the prices are a little bit over the top because you can't go back to the bowl, but, you know, you can go to, you know, um, a trader's reach, which is 50,000 light years from Sol and... Um, you know that there's several stations there offering different things and, you know, they work together to create a community and that's completely player-driven, the economy. Yeah, that, and, would, that would be really cool, isn't it? Because I can imagine parking a fleet carrier halfway out to, um, you yeah, know, Beagle Point or something and, you yeah, know, charging three times the going rate for repairs and rearm or whatever it happens to be. But, you yeah, mercenary. that would be okay, right? Because I'm the only fleet carrier out here. So, you know, you know if you want repairs... That's the price, right? It's the same as discovering a petrol station in the middle of nowhere on the, you know, the A one two three to God knows where. You know, you, it's the petrol station. If it's if it's a fuel tank's drive away from anywhere, it can charge what the hell it likes for fuel, right? You know, so you could you can yeah you know, be unscrupulous if you wish, but you could you could do exactly that. You could drive a a bit of a player economy and make some. So then somebody else could rock up and put be in competition, and then you could have fights, you know, you know, potentially um, between the two fleet carriers and stuff like that. You know, that sort of dynamic would have been quite good fun. And, that, and I think, 
I think one of the things that you, you're uh, settling on is something, the guy who made the first multi-user dungeon said there are four types of player in games. There's, there's, there's people who hunt trophies, there's the people who like to explore, the people who like the narrative, whichever way that narrative forms, and the people who like to grind. And and not everybody's just one form of that person. Everybody's a, a makeup of there's those four PvP. archetypes. <laughs> you can talk about that as well. That's something completely different. Yeah. Um, oh, and but 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 it, it comes to those four types. And and one of the things of about setting uh, a fleet carrier somewhere remote and allowing it to be a hub is to work with people who enjoy exploring and searching out the really really valuable places in the galaxy or in the universe so that that fleet character is at its maximum point and then literally advertising its position so that people know that they can use that as a safe zone for coming back and forth um and then it becomes a much more interesting thing there was a very very old um a 2D game, a free browser game called Pardus, where it was turn-based moves. But you could take over space stations in that and you could uh, place them and you could build them. And there was a whole economy and it took a lot of time to run them. But people like that type of thing. And if you get the the fleet carrier to the right people in the right hands, which is what I don't think they've done at the moment. I think they've just made it the most expensive thing as this end game content when it could be this very interesting mid game content, then um, uh, people will take that on board and maybe they just rent it, um, uh, which they're sort of doing at the moment. And by renting it, they decide what's going on within that fleet carrier and what advantages and disadvantages it has for any player docking. I think it goes back to um, partly the discontinuity between the the player types that you mentioned, especially in Elite, where there's no there's really no linkages between exploration and trading, or exploration and PvP, for example. Or um, nobody goes out to explore the galaxy and then come back and say, "I found this really cool system. Who wants to come out with me to basically mine that system and then set up a fleet carrier and then we build the economy from that." From that um, from that system, and we create a trade route to other systems, um, and and the same the same kind of sort of goes with the fact that this is deemed like a, a an end game, another sort of end game um, item or trophy, whereas most MMOs you you don't kind of grind to believe that this is the end game for you. There's so much more, and and, and it, it feels to me that the um, elite from a design perspective, just lurches from one end game uh, a trophy to another end game trophy to another end game trophy. And so the, the first three end game trophies were elite status on all three, um, exploration, uh, PVP, or uh, well, uh, fighting and, um, and trade. And then the next game and the next end game was, oh, I need to get an anaconda. And then the ne- now the next one is, well, well the other one was, um, what, what were the bigger ships called again? God. The um, type ten cutter, yeah, and the um, the big three, the big the big three, Anaconda, the cutter. What's the other one? <laughs> yeah. Corvette. Oh, Corvette. Corvette. Oh, Don't forget on. the federal Corvette. Come yeah. on. Corvette. 
I'm not uh, on the plebeian. I'm, I'm for the empire. I don't, you know, federal. <laughs> I just wanted to bring some. There were some really good points that have come up in chat. So Firedos, I think it's it Firedos. Uh, the only problem you could see with um, with the pileup of icons of the system map, and it's a good, it's a good point that is that you can always go around that. You know, there is this yeah. thing called uh, design and oh, I don't know, coding. You know, you, you know, it's an imagination. Just mm -hmm. saying. So that I think that'll be fixed. Um, and you've got uh, what was it? Commander Terra, Fir oh Terra Terra Firma. Uh, you're a lot of people are talking about the background simulation. Um, and yeah, I think what you're getting at is you would create um, a pseudo background sim. In fact, it would be a player background. It wouldn't be linked at all to the background sim. It would be completely organic. And if that's what you mean, I think a lot of players would get excited about the ability to just like, you know, just communicate with each other and go, um, yeah, let's sell this at this or there can be competitors. And it would create a bit more of an Eve-like environment. Um, but I think that would be... I think there's I think there's limit limitations in and um, in the overall game engines. I mean, right at the start, I think um, when Elite Dangerous first came out, they wanted to license the Cobra engine, and I don't know whether they ever got around to doing that. And it always felt to me like a, an astrophysics simulation with uh, some kind of UI and, and game mechanic laid on top. So the astrophysics side and the and the graphics and and getting the galaxy on a one-to-one -one scale with as much accuracy as possible from a physics and everything else perspective was first and foremost and everything else became secondary. Um, and, in a, and in a sense, you've got probably a, a good few years of layers of technical debt where it's actually really hard to unpick the background simulation and make it anything worthwhile. Because I mean, everything is still, well, it still feels to me uh, developer-led and developer-injected. So if a, an event has to happen, it's created by a dev. You know, if a ship has to be moved, it's created by a dev. Nothing is actually really player-driven. And I think to to try and overlay another sub-layer on top of that, which is like the player-driven economy, um, would would probably cause massive amounts of problems, I think. It would probably we, break we've certainly got... Um... We certainly got anecdotal evidence of that when they introduced the arcs um, stuff, didn't they? Yeah, and it caused all sorts of grief to the um, you know the stability of the game in terms of the bugs and various other bits and pieces. And you know, you can you can I, you know, I'm very wary of this because you can get accused of being an armchair dev, right? And I'm not a dev, so <laughs> I'm I'm wary of making kind of well, it should be easy, surely, because you know you just. You just do stuff, right? Um, but, um, yeah, and I'm not a dev, so I will caveat that early on. But it does feel to me, um, when you look at other games and the rate at which the, you know, the DLCs come out for the other games, uh, and games that at least have some you know, mechanics in common with Elite Dangerous, the, the pace of release has been glacial at best. <laughs> um, in, terms of, in terms of new features. And, and, you know, I don't want to say that you know it should be easy and development is easy clearly it isn't but it you know in comparison when 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 they when they repeatedly say we have a hundred man team working on Elite dangerous which has been verified by many people who visited the frontier offices what we have received in the last two years is is very very scant um and the only thing that we've been given as an alternative explanation for that is everyone's working on the new era whatever the new era is um for a 
point here. Now, uh, back in LaveCon, actually, when we met uh, Drew uh, last year, basically, uh, I did ask Zach at that point. I pressured him a little bit uh, on, you know, the number of uh, developers that are clearly working on the B team, which is the content that we get now. And yeah. the you know, the size of the team that is working for the content is going to be com- coming, right? And he gave me a figure of about uh, 27, uh, phew, uh, 25 to 75%, right? The the big team is working on the next expansion thing. And then, you know, the 25% is working on the current updates okay. and probably fleet carrier. And lo and behold, 25 people give or take obviously you know um manage this uh mm, especially september update uh, yeah i kind of kind of doubt that number there or at well, least the effort put in 25 people is still i mean it's it's not huge right but it's, it's not, uh no man's sky steam it's not an insignificant amount just just as the person who's the dev in the room yeah. Um, uh, and has worked on a number of MMOs. Twenty-five is uh, is is quite a significant. Even if the half of them are audio and uh, art people, it's just mm-mm. yeah. Mm. But but realistically, what um, a team of devs uh, when you've got twenty-five devs, and again, we haven't got the breakdown of them. They will be keeping the uh, current version of Elite Dangerous ticking over, so they will be. They're not only because QA would have to be in that team potentially. Um, uh, any type of new systems that they're implementing would have to be in there. Um, it's 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 a hard job. Um, I, I work at the moment with a team of uh, six designers, um, and I'm the lead there. And um, and we work on an MMO which I, I can't mention at the moment. And um, it's uh, it's significant how much. Uh, time is taken in making sure everything's working fine. Because as Theo said, once you start getting into this layered thing of of a game, it's not like a world where a a political upheaval can change things or a virus, to be topical, can uh, change the way that the world operates. It's the fact that once things are locked down at the very, very base level, as soon as you start putting layers on top of them, it's almost impossible to unpick that base level. It, it's very, very hard, and you have to find ways of like dealing with it. This possibly also means that the base level, uh, possibly because of launch or things like this, might have been rushed in the first place, and they didn't get everything in that they wanted to and therefore they've been building systems on top of that and then those systems initially will have been quite a lot on player desires um, and making sure that those things fill uh, are filled out so i agree with uh, theo it felt very much for me in initial times like a space sim in exactly the same way that no man's sky didn't feel like a space space sim um uh and it's to do with what they were trying to achieve initially and i think that they were going for for hyper realism apart from docking because nobody would let anybody dock i think i think i think the hyper realism thing is interesting actually because it's a it's a very much uh, uh, a design consideration that's come out of the second pair of games um for the the original elite I mean, obviously, on the 8-bit computers, there was no hope of doing realism anyway. Mm. Um, but it was entirely a made-up universe, not only in the way the game played, but also in the story and the background and, and the environment you found yourself in. You know, 
it was procedurally generated because it had to be procedurally generated to give you some space, right? Because the 8-bit computer didn't have the, you know, the memory to actually have hard-coded systems, but um, which was a, you know, a neat trick at the time. Um, and you know, gave us some you know memorable planet names that uh, you know still exist today. That stuff is very clever, um, but the hyperrealism only really entered into the elite kind of mythos with the second game, where it was suddenly in the real universe, mm. and that was continued in in, in Frontier Elite, uh, uh, you know, Frontier First Encounters Elite Three, and then obviously into Elite Dangerous, which is a continuation of those early things. So that was a that was a very stylistic choice, which feels to me like it was made a long time ago, um, in in back in 1991, um, which I wonder is whether or not it was basically an attempt to differentiate um, David Braben's view of how Elite was supposed to evolve from the kind of shared Braben and Bell version of Elite that was the original one, and, and whether there's a little bit of a um, you know a divergence you know quite by design there. Uh, with David wanting much more of a pure kind of astronomical focus to it. Um, and, you know, maybe Ian Bell just, you know, hey, it's space, right? Just just chuck some... <laughs> I, I <laughs> sort of agree. And, uh, and, there's, yeah. and there's, there's more I'd like to say to that, because um, the original Elite, and I, I remember, you know, this is a 16K game. Um, hmm. uh, the original Elite had... Um, uh, had a very very strong basis around the traveler role playing game. Yeah. So they they used the traveler role playing game as that basis there. And it's and obviously licensing and things like this. This is this is just after Star Wars. This is just when people didn't really understand the linkage of like uh, IPs. But if Elite had actually taken the traveler IP, I think they'd have had this amazing background already created that they could have just expanded into. But I also think part of it coming into the second Elite game was to try and diverge from the Traveller background just in case they got too close. One of the beauties of playing the original game, and I, and I remember playing it when it came out, was the fact that I felt that I was in control of my world and my my systems and things like this. One of the things that I felt Elite Dangerous uh, missed was it sort of took away a little bit of that it, it was there but it was so huge that it, it was hard to like spot it and also I just never understood why the word dangerous was in the title because it never <laughs> felt dangerous either no, no, you see, see why it was there is simple you see in marketing you have well you know, you see elite, it's like, what does elite mean? Well, it means elitist, probably. So, you know, it's a high, high class bullshit. Yeah, who cares, right? We need, uh, you know, uh, you know, some, some colons, you know, and then we have, have to be very special and put an amazing name after that. And then that makes people think, oh, it's going to be something, you know, uh, what's a name? What's a word we could use? Uh, elite shit? No. Okay. Elite grind? No. Uh, elite uh, preposterous? No, no, no. That, that doesn't work. Elite space? Uh, also not really. Uh, dangerous. Yeah, it's very dangerous. Uh, the game's very dangerous, yes. Especially with engineering when you have 13,000 points of shield. Yeah, uh, definitely very dangerous, yes. Those asteroids anyway, are very sharp on. as well. <laughs> just never mind you know i'm just i'm just contemplating i, I, I must admit i always assume that elite dangerous was to do with the ranking of yeah me too actually um from sort of harmless uh, yeah harmless mostly harmless poor i'm just remember them all now average competent um 
Uh, yeah, this the stupid rank. I kind of assume in a few years' time that the sequel will be Elite Deadly or something like that. And then we'll have Elite Oh, yeah, Elite. people. Yeah, Elite it's, it's Elite Grinders. Elite <laughs> Grind, grind, grind. Oh, yeah, so grind your actually, mind away. It's, it, um, actually, there's a couple of things, actually, which, which kind of sort of made me think, going back to the uh, the original. So the original had a very small um, universe or galaxy or whatever it was that you wanted to call it. Um, and then you got your, um, uh, it was almost an interstellar drive where you could actually jump to a completely different uh, galaxy. A galactic yes. hyperspace. Right. Yeah. Well, that mm. was because it could only store things in 8-bit, so you needed an intergalactic hyperdrive to link things into 16-bit, kind of. <laughs> um, but I w- I'm glad you mentioned the intergalactic hyperdrive. Because I Where think, they- so there's two things. I think, I wonder if the new content stuff is actually going on to an adjacent galaxy, for one. Mm. Oh, it's not going to be. No, I don't think it'll be that, but I think the intergalactic it's just be more drive. Is something is something that could be used in fleet carriers because instead of having to slowly grind your way across the um, the galaxy in your fleet carrier, I think a fleet carrier should have a two types of jump. It should have a like a super jump, so it got, I want to explore that bit of space, so I can do a huge fifty thousand light up to fifty thousand light year jump, but it, the cooldown's a day or a week. Uh, and that's the, or you have to buy it, like you used to in Elite. So somebody who wants to go exploring and wants to just jump to a location in the, the universe and go, right, all my ships on board that I need, everything's packed up, picnic mat ready, uh, everything's packed ready, kids in the bar, calm down. Let's go, <laughs> intergalactic hyperdrive, jump 15,000 light years. I want to explore here. And I can stay exploring. Explorers, I'm sure, would love that. And it brings that law into the game of the intergalactic hyperdrive. I haven't worked out how to get the energy bomb in yet, though. Right. <laughs> oh, sorry to dash your hopes and dreams and all that stuff. Uh, we pretty much had, you know, this 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 leak happen a little while back, and you know, uh, if it, if it is to be believed, and thus far it hasn't been wrong, uh, with the DLC announcements and so on and so forth, is you know, the, the uh, end of the year we're gonna probably get, you know, uh, space legs. Uh, who the fuck knows what that's gonna be and uh, building. Yeah, buildings on the planets i i, I just know I, I kind of hope that it isn't but i've kind of resigned yeah i don't know because no man's sky and and i i i i've been playing no man's sky quite a lot recently um mm. just to kind of compare. and and actually it reminds me more of the original elite than elite dangerous does because it's got you know yeah, the, the planets are in a box. You know, you, you don't, you're not really traveling through a simulation of space. You just press your whatever the drive is and you kind of go there, which is exactly how the original Elite was. Not and you can drive. hyperspace between systems, which is exactly how the original Elite was. Um, but what you can do now on the No Man's Sky, of course, is you can land on the planets. And they're actually, you know, some people complain it's a cartoony feel. I don't think cartoony is fair. I think it's much more just a sort of 70s sci-fi vibe, which again kind of is elite right <laughs> um and i think i think no man's sky um other than the name and uh, is actually more of a successor to the original game than in some ways elite dangerous is other than the ships if if no if no man's sky had a cobra mark three i would be really happy because <laughs> it yeah i can i can land on a planet and it's you know i you know and i can find myself a nice beach and build a little base and I could, I've got little machines I could drive around and the, and 
you know, and, and comparisons aside, now I, I, I'm not a dev, and I, you know, I will bow to Phil's expertise on this, but No Man's Sky does have some multiplayer now. It does have a effectively infinite procedurally generated universe. It does have lots of ships. It does have trading. It has some mechanics that are quite similar to the ones in Elite Dangerous. It doesn't have all of them. Um, and yet I can land on the planet. I can get out and I can walk around. Um, I can shoot things. I can analyze things. Um, and yes, there's some grind there if you want to get into it, but it has a creative mode, which I rather like because I don't have to do anything, which feels quite nice. Um, and all those things, and the, and the, you know, No Man's Sky, you know, was a disaster when it launched. It, it, oh, it, it was, was the nightmare. grandest disaster in the industry for a launch. They just seem to be kept at it and kept at it and kept at it and kept at it. And seems to be redeemed it on a regular basis. So, um, you know, hats off to them, literally. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, it's it's a great game. It's not elite, but it's 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 impressive, I think. Um, okay. And every time I log into it, I, I have to download an update because it, there's something new coming along. Which can, can I just say that that's a team of uh, initially ten and ending at eighteen people. A Hello game. It's a tiny, tiny team. And, and they got so much criticism. And I feel that the criticism that, that got leveled at the game was much more to do with um, uh, marketing lies of about what was Sean Murray's big mouth, you mean? Yeah, but, but it was just... Uh, carried away think, with his enthusiasm, if we're kind Yeah, of I think you can get carried away with enthusiasm on like, a project. And, uh, but but to, it wasn't really enthusiasm, was it, to, though? To to honor the game and to honor the studio, they they kept creating content for it, um, yeah. and that was really really good. And they they sorted out the problems. Um, it's still not perfect, but I agree. I find much more of the original Elite in No Man's Sky than I do in Elite Dangerous at this time. Two two I miss, I miss some of the really good bits of Elite. The, the, the bits of Elite Dangerous to me that really jump out as kind of spectacular are the audio. Okay, yeah, that's. Yeah. Beyond yep. spectacular, really. That's that's fantastic. The flight model, which Mike Evans obviously put a lot of work into it, fronted there, is is a really clever compromise between the needs of a multiplayer game to keep players in reasonable proximity, giving you a real sense of six degrees of freedom that a, a real spaceship would have, and still making it not you know turrets in space which real six degrees of freedom would actually turn into in a real space environment so the fact that they've they've nerfed the yaw so that you can really only use it to maneuver into the docking bay is is a is a is a, is a stroke of genius from a gameplay perspective it doesn't make sense but from a gameplay perspective it's, it's really really clever so those two things really strike me as as as, as moments of genius in the design of elite dangerous um I think the design of the Coriolis space station is amazing. It looks exactly how you'd expect it to look, having come from playing the original games. Um, most of the ships are really good, um, you know, instantiations of of the sort of thing that you sort of imagined in your head from playing the earlier games that the Elite Dangerous ships would actually look like. The Cobra Mark III, for example, are really really good. So lots of that design stuff is is really really excellent. Where they seem to go wrong <laughs> it seemed to be and i i use go wrong this, this <laughs> advisedly because it's not you know i don't i don't really know but they 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 they've got this amazing basis and i've i've 
spoken about this on my stream. They've got this amazing background law, a heritage that goes back to 84, right? Um, at least, and maybe has its roots in travel, as we've discussed. All that history, all that mythos, all that stuff that they've built up. And then they've built on top of that amazing foundation, this amazing astrophysics, real world kind of simulcrum. Um, just a series of really unimaginative grind, unlock, gated content, grind, unlock, gated content, grind, unlock, gated content. And you just think, where did the vision go for mm. something that wasn't that just classic sort of 1990s style, early 2000s style gameplay? That's the that's where I think, well, where did the vision go? Because that's not the vision we were sold in the Kickstarter. They see right? game design, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> You know, I'm, I don't know. Is that, when, when, when I, I, I see grind as lazy design. game design for basically a stand-in for enjoyable gameplay design that actually would encourage players to repeat a loop rather than just do it because you have a requirement to do it. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't completely agree. I think grind can be used correctly. I think. Oh, it can be. I think, I think Dark Souls series uh, uh, uses grind very, very cleverly. But um, uh, it's also uh, going back to talking about uh, the original Elite being in a box and, um, and No Man's Sky sort of being in a box and an Elite being all expansive and out there. Perhaps it's just too big a space. And yeah. perhaps that's where the problem uh, mm. lies. I do, I do think they made an absolutely fundamental error early on, which I'm proud to say I warned them about, <laughs> um, uh, which was to allow everybody in the bubble to go beyond the bubble at whim. Mm. I think if they had... Because I don't know if you guys were playing in the alpha and beta, but in the alpha... Not, well, in the beta, certainly, the original beta for the game, we had this thing called a, a pill which was a set of star systems that you could get to. And you couldn't go beyond that because it was effectively closed off. And that was for the limitations of beta testing, right? But the mechanic forced people together, right? Because everybody who had access to the beta was in about 20 star systems, and that was it. That's, that's all you could get to. You weren't allowed to hyperspace beyond that point. And that had the, you know, the gameplay mechanic of forcing people together. We, you know, we knew that the beta didn't really count, so we would shoot each other and you know, ask about and do all those kind of things. Now, if we had had an exploration mechanic that had basically, at the beginning of Elite Dangerous back in 2014, and basically said, right, there's 200 star systems in this bubble. And in order to unlock them and go out into the galaxy, you've got to do something exploration-wise to find a route there. Once you've done it, then the bubble slowly, jaggedly expands. You've almost got like a fog of war in the galaxy, which forces people together at the start. And then we'll, you know, we'll introduce um, kind of corridors of activity as people start to push in certain directions. That makes choke points, that makes, you know, places that are worth controlling and all those sort of dynamics could have emerged from that. And I, I felt at the time that it was a massive missed opportunity because the first person, and, you know, he's, 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 he's a dear friend, um, the first person who got to SAG-A did it in the pre the launch of the game. <laughs> did it in the uh, Gamma version of the game, right? He got to SAG-A, um, put his name on it, came back. In, I, I don't know whether it was in the Sidewinder or something very early on. Um, and, um, you know, that was done. The great, you know, there was, there was, there was these, all these ideas at the Lavecons and things before the game launched. That there'd be this massive expedition, which would be really, really hard to get us to the centre of the galaxy. Uh, and this guy did it before the game launched. <laughs> and if you if you take what uh, you've just mentioned, if you take what you've just mentioned, and then uh, we have this sort of slowly expanding thing, and then we say, 
oh, uh, early on, humanity sent a lot of generation ships, e.g. the fleet carriers out there. And you can go and find those fleet carriers because you can jump out there and then take them over and slowly build them up. Suddenly you get player engagement in the fleet carriers because people are like, okay, I'm really going to, if I get here first, I can like put my flag down on this fleet carrier and start to reactivate it. And you could have also had the possibility of uh, mechanics where different people could come and lay claim to different parts of the fleet carrier and therefore have to work together to get this fleet carrier up and running, possibly being able to move it very, very slowly and only once in a blue moon um, after you've done that. But literally placing these, these Easter eggs in the universe that you is slowly expanding. So you find yeah. these things. One of the things in the original Elite or in one of the updates of the original was the were these massive um, uh, dormant battleships that just sat in uh, the middle of uh, space between stars and you could find them and I remember approaching one and my my um, uh, BBC Model B actually chugging because of all the little icons of all the fighters it launched coming at me and obviously the processes are going wow this is a bit hard for me to deal with but the excitement of finding that thing the excitement mm. of finding something unusual out there was was amazing and uh, i feel that you know however much this is a simulation in space as well there is that opportunity to find it and if it is a simulation in space who lets anybody fly out of a docking bay on new year's day after drinking the night before <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just wanted to pick up on some of the uh, the points that uh, drew was making because that idea of creating choke points is actually a really good one. And you think, well, how would you introduce that into the game now? Heaven forbid, a frontier listened to what we were saying and thought that'd be a good idea. Well, what if, so fleet carriers, what if fleet carriers, so at the minute, what we're doing is we, we, everyone wants to have the biggest jump drive possible so they can go as far as possible. So at the minute, we're enhancing ships to jump. What if we sort of stop the caps on stupid jump ranges for ships and go, well, actually, if you want to jump, um, you can uh, add a fleet, uh, um, a jump gate module to a fleet carrier, which will enhance ships' jump capability through certain conduits. And you can focus people into different areas that way. It's more player control, but a lot of, if you look at like a lot of films like, uh, not films, well, games like Mass Effect, where the ships were restricted to jump gates. Mm. They, they, they could only travel sublight and they have to go through jump gates. And that's another way that you... That's X4 how X4 kind does, of does it. That. X4 does it. You know, the ships can travel quite quickly in system, um, but they can't travel, you know, super, super fast. So we're not saying that ships can't jump themselves, but in order to get anywhere fast and control the expansion of the galaxy, they could have implemented jump gates. And fleet carriers would have been a great way to allow players to deploy them, charge for their use. Mm. Want to jump a thousand light years on my jump gate in any destination with a boost? Yeah. It's going to cost you a few yeah. um, 300,000 credits. But hey, you can jump a thousand light years and you can go anywhere from this point in the galaxy. That would force players to congregate around fleet carriers and yeah. give them another purpose. And, and it's also it's also an easy thing to introduce because if Warhammer can reset their whole world, then Elite Dangerous can reset their whole world. They can they can change the rules because of something coming, and that's that's one of those. Um, Warframe uh, has done but, it, by the way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's one of those forbidding like senses of like dread that there is actually something bigger coming. There may be an invasion coming. Something has managed to just like disable uh, the limits of all the jump drives. And 
then build on that and build that back up and push people back in so that they have to interact with each other before allowing them to explore back out. Oh, you see, well, I mean, there is something to be new problems. Oh, you have to on. bring back some. You're going to have to bring back some law and some galnet to explain what's going on. Oh yes. <laughs> one of the one of the ideas I had, and I fed this off to um, Johnny Watts in Frontier, was <laughs> um, at some point the Thargoids actually win. Um, and I, although that entire story and lore thing has just seems to have died a, an absolute fucking death anyway. Um, but if there was going to be that kind of invasion, then the Thargoids win, but somehow they destroy everyone's capabilities in terms of the galactic map. Um, so all that exploration data is now gone. Our ability to actually look at the galactic map and then understand that I could chart things um, was gone. All the um, nav beacons were basically corrupted. So that's all gone. So essentially it became, space became dangerous again because you didn't know how to jump to a star uh, you could have jumped mid. Uh, the one thing that I really can't, you know, really irks me is when you jump to an explored system, you still jump to a star, even though everything else has been explored. You should be able to jump to a, an actual planet straight away, I think. But you know, that's another design consideration. But I did think if if there was somehow if there was a way to reset the the galaxy into a, a completely inert state where every piece of information was lost. It was almost like you've got all your you've got your amazing fleet carrier, you've got your anacondas, but now you're actually going to have to really struggle because you don't know how to jump to that system because all that information is wiped. And, and I, think, you... I think it's a fantastic idea. I'm just trying to imagine the salt. Oh, <laughs> yeah. There will be plenty of people that are, you know, disapproving of any change that would be, you know, coming. Say what you will. I know. I mean, I know. In conversation with Michael Brooks years ago, he was very keen for the Thargoids to come and completely trash humanity. You know, he wanted the bubble to burn. He, oh, <laughs> yeah. He likes his dystopian stuff, right? So um, it's kind of a shame he's not at the helm of that anymore because I think maybe we would have seen something a bit more exciting. But the Thargoids, the Thargoid invasion was a total um, damp squib. You know, they they yeah. rocked up. They almost got all the way to Seoul um, on the map, and then nothing happened, <laughs> and we never saw the invasion happen in. You know, on Personal narrative happened, my friend. Always happened on Thargoid Thursdays, um, and all we ever saw was damaged space stations. Right? Um, we never saw the invasion. It's like it's like um, it's like watching a film, uh, and you're, you're you're coming up to the you know the, the really big kind of genuine in the film, and then it just cuts away, and all you see is 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 the aftermath of it, and it's just kind of anticlimactic. And the Thargoids now are. And probably really always have been optional content. You know, even in the original Elite, they would come along and get you, right? Yeah. Um, every so often, they would just appear and give you a hard time. Um, whereas in Elite Dangerous, you know, the, the design of Super Cruise is, if, is kind of like a lobby where you can go, what's out there for me to interact with? And you can choose your level of danger from none, or you can just go straight to the planet. And very occasionally, you'll be hyper, you know, interdicted by a player or, a, or an NPC. Um, but you can then scan the USS, determine how threatening it is, decide whether you want to engage with it. And the same goes with the Thargoids in a certain part of space, right? If, if you don't want to engage with the content, you can bypass it entirely. And that's that really isn't in the spirit of the original Elite at all. That's where a lot of the danger has, has, has gone. If you, if you, if you remember, you engage with it. if you remember the um, when the Thargoid storyline first came out, the all the clues... And, and how to find where they were, all the, the barnacles were hidden and things like that, and the, and the audio signals as well. They were all very catered and centered around 
a very specific and niche type of player. So people yep. who could decode signals and audio signals and things like that, and everyone who understood how to chart maps and uh, you know off to the nebulas and things like that. Whereas the average player or the casual player was just like, huh, what? And and they were actually you watching, know, watching it on YouTube after the event. Yeah. Well, yeah, they were kind of forced to 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 follow after the fact and just and not really and there was no real engagement for I would probably say uh, you know eighty percent of the the player population who just kind of tinker along and do their trading and do a bit of exploration. It was that hardcore niche where they catered for it. And once that was done, the fun was gone because someone had solved the riddle and there was no need for you to solve the riddle. Um, and it's very different from, if you look at sort of MMO designs everywhere else, it's very, Elite has almost been designed as an MMO without actually understanding what the mechanics of an MMO they do call elite MMO themselves, you know, in their official media and so on and so forth. You can find it. I mean, uh, actually, you did touch on the whole MMO aspect and then how they do quests and so on and so forth, right? Uh, a big sort of criticism a lot of times about these uh, mysteries and whatnot else within elite is just about the fact that, yeah, oh, hey, there are some super, super, super obscure things that maybe one person in a fucking million will know uh, but we're not gonna give you not even a fucking tool to use and decode and you know solve it so guess what fuckers work for us <laughs> yeah that's a great <laughs> fucking puzzle i love it it's a fair okay, criticism of those early adventures because like you say you know you had to recognize that the audio noise that the things were giving off had some. yeah it needs spectrograph and, and then you needed, to just... down, you needed to record that convert it to an mp3 load it into an audio editor switch it to spectrum analyzer mode and then you got an image right and it's like why would the thargoids or you know alien race as they were at the time go to the trouble of putting the sounds yeah. in space <laughs> None of it really makes any sense at all. I mean, it's, it was a fun game dynamic for those players who understood these things. It did generate a bit of press, and you know there were strange messages encoded yeah. in the game. Kind of cool, but um, but that's the know, thing but, about but these not, uh, not for most mysteries of the players, as well. Like say, without in-game tools to to deal with it, um, it was inaccessible. And and, and I, th- I I feel the same is true for for fleet carriers to a degree at the moment because they're incredibly expensive for oh they are designed straight off the bat to be inaccessible or at least as much as possible right and and why but why spend so much of your if you've got if you've got 25 devs right and you've got a game to support and all that kind of stuff why would you why would you spend all of your precious dev time on content that only a relatively small percentage of the player base can actually access. Makes no sense to me whatsoever. You know, if you've got management. two years before the new... Manage- year, managerial moment, essentially. That's that's what I can chuck it up only as. <laughs> Literally, one that's manager, director, or uh, game designer decided, okay, we need to drive sales. Yep. Boom, something big. Fleet carriers. There you go. But, yeah. but it's, it's also the case with um, MMOs, and this comes back to team and team size. Uh, the um, MMOs, uh, in their very, very nature, they, they, they're, like, um, they're like chewing gum. They, they just get very, very stretched in the middle um, because the, uh, the importance of the MMO is to 
give the first player experience as much uh, love as possible and then rework that and rework that and rework that and look at the statistics and how many people keep engaging and keeping uh, going on and then look at the end game uh, which is fleet carriers at the moment whether we think that's a good idea or not and spend time on that and the middle part gets stretched and this is where the problem really really lies and this is the problem that you're identifying drew that this middle point this 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 middle point if you can't bring players in if you can't bring in phargoids that are going to hit that middle area uh, but then that middle area just feels left out and they don't feel engaged there's so many mmos uh, out there where you end up in this sort of mid-game sort of maraise where you're trying to like get out and trying to find um, a way to get over things and it's because a designer really hasn't got had time to go in and just make stages A, B and C 20% easier to complete and then as soon as you do that you suddenly get this flood of players going forward um, mm -hmm. and it's, it's very very much to do with design and the, the size of the game as a whole and trying to make sure that uh, players get the best or the play players who pay and the players who um, are really, really in initially engaged get the best experiences. And it's, can I, can I just say, having been a designer and sat in design teams, there are times when the design teams are tearing their hair out, which is why I'm bald, when the design teams are tearing their hair out to um, try and do something about that middle area. And going back to what Yannick said, uh, then management say, no, we've got to concentrate on this end or this end and that's where it gets missed yeah i mean i, I think it's really the elite has plenty of clues of that too i mean multi-crew is the best example of just a producer moment essentially oh we need to push this out like now and it gets pushed and it's half baked uh, some things work but mostly it's broken as hell in elite you can easily just feel how multi-crew is just absolute horrendous shit fest of bugs and nothing else and the idea is there and you know even when developers themselves talk about the ideas behind it you know you, you can feel that they want to say oh we wanted to put in ability to drive in srvs in multi-crew right but we didn't have the time somebody had to pull a plug on just development or we couldn't for technical reasons or whatever just we didn't have enough time to develop it and 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 we need to move on to the next big announcement so that we we get money from the sales and we drive engagement and all that stuff and you just need to do it we didn't need it's just you already have enough money for fuck's sake just stop developing new crap and go back and rework shit look at what fucking digital extremes does you know they rework uh warframe from ground up and look at that just where they are they're constantly growing 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 and i never expected that to happen to a game usually it's the downward curve when you release a game you know maybe you release a update but you know it gets a bump and it's it goes lower it gets a bump then goes even lower and so on and so forth so yeah warframe is definitely an example of how you can go back do quality of life, do just bug fixing and generally improve the game or just completely tear something completely out and, well, redo the game since the launch and people will love it if you well, do I, put I think, in I think effort. There's something in that because if you look at the some of the quality of life features that have been put into Elite over the years, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking things that I really... There are any? Like, um, well, <laughs> all right, now, come on, babe. 
One of the standout features for me that really made me sit up and go, well, that is really clever, that's really nice, is when the station announced us, started doing things like, um, you know, Gutemeyer, um, what is it, Delta Oh, Rome, yeah, yeah, the name calling, yeah. Right. The yeah, name yeah. calling. For me, that was 20,000 light year route planning. This was, this was, yeah. that for me was like, that's a really nice feature to have added because it makes the game feel that little bit more alive. Um, you know, you get the different station announces. There's a, there's a lovely Mancunian lady that is in the space station across from where my home base is, and that's just that. Yeah, you know, make sure you, you you land on pad 23. You know, it's, it's just like that's really nice to hear things like that. Um, you know, and um, you know that was a great quality of life improvement I thought, which added to the feeling of being in the spaceship, going somewhere, being welcomed back, and and all those kind of things. Um, you know, the root plotter in hyperspace allowing you to go that little bit extra distance and it you know it working out how to do that all those little things were were really welcomed by the community they they really improved the game a lot um you know i, I would have it wasn't much but it was definitely good quality of life improvement yeah um, you know, so, a lifetime yeah. pass <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> the, the, lifetime the poor pass. lifetime pass holders so Lifetime pass. If you bought the lifetime pass in beta, it was only thirty-five pounds. However, if you bought the lifetime pass later in the game, it was over a hundred pounds. And you could argue, although there's been a lot of quality of life updates as we've been talking about, the really only major updates were probably Horizons, Thargoids, the mining changes, um, and exploration the changes. Now. Yes, Beyond experience. was given free to everybody, though, wasn't it? So you can argue yeah. it's not part of yeah, it. Freeze with the asterisk, man. It's, it's Horizons. The only bit that you got with the Lifetime Pass is Horizons. I don't and the Cobra Mark Four. I think yeah. all the bits are in with the base game, aren't they? It, yeah. it, it does feel like a swindle. It, it was definitely, well, originally intended probably as a good thing. You know, They probably had the 10-year plan of just the multiple you know, season passes and uh, Frontier at the time seemed to be drinking basically the, the Kool-Aid of uh, industry, at, you know, the season passes, you know, and then microtransactions and stuff like that, which they no, kind of are I'm, still, I'm still to this day. I'm still waiting for my um, godlike powers from the DDF. You know, they've got to turn up or something. Right, <laughs> you should wait for the so, Cobra Mark One, yeah. Well, exactly, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, shall we should we talk about some of the uh, these proposed changes that have come in? Yeah, because they've, they've, they've dropped um, a significant change today, haven't they, on the forums? No, yeah. it's really not significant. <laughs> Or is, this, no. or is this a great? Is this a great um, one? That is, it, yeah, Yamex, are you going down the line that it's the sales tactic? You know, you artificially inflate things before you put them on sale. Um, uh, honestly, I try not to speculate such malice. <laughs> and yet, the thing is, I try to give the benefit of the doubt of the developer, you know, and so on and so forth, you know, yeah. that they actually try some things, at least somebody within the company actually has a, at least some humanity still left with them. So that they, they don't quite go out for the maximum profit shit like that, right? Loot boxes are not an elite, right? And Patreon's not dead either. So there has at least some pushback against that garbage. So, uh, yeah, and, and this, uh, I, I don't know if this was literally just purposely 
you know, inflating things so that you would get Yamex just being outraged and so on and so forth. Still doesn't make exactly this amount of sense because, oh, this was a shit fest for sure. And that would much be- negative press, it, no, not every press point is a, you know, a positive thing, even if it is a negative video or what, or what else in my case, right? Not always. So I, I give them benefit of the doubt that that was, I don't know, maybe just alignment to the best of their will, but it's just still, it, it, it's nothing. The result is nothing, really. I mean, okay, there are two positive things and still a massive turd. <laughs> what? No, anyways, uh, uh, everyone else, go for it. <laughs> I'm going to go on rant, otherwise. I don't know if you want to stick, keep your tinfoil hat on, um, Yamix, because we kind of t- touched on this uh, before we even went live, which were which kind of centered around the fact that uh, a couple of years back, they re- uh, Frontier received, um, you know, a significant cash injection in t- in, in um, in the form of uh, investment from I think it was ten cent, and yeah, it was ten cent, yeah, yeah, and and Phil, you can drop in here because you have more experience of of, um, of the way that Chinese developers and Chinese companies work, especially with MMO and free to play games and things like that, and, term, and game mechanics. But do you think that some of these design decisions now are being taken to essentially show? Uh, inflated growth or inflated gameplay time to shareholders now because it's become a bit of a spreadsheet exercise for Frontier at this point? It, it could be. Um, it's it, it's one of those things that uh, game design in different countries is is quite fundamentally different. And um, you know, usually you can just spot it in the games, but quite a lot of the Chinese content um, and the the games that I've worked on with Chinese companies. And I'm not having any criticism of Chinese companies. They just run things in different ways is to do with this um, uh, fire this into uh, a game or fire it into a platform or create a new game. And we expect the shelf life to be this long. And once that shelf life is uh, completed, we either have the next game lined up or we have the next update for that game. And there's a lot of spreadsheet management there. I I completely understand why um, it was a Korean company who I think bought um, uh, uh, EVE. And and I can understand because EVE has always been a a very, very good spreadsheet management um, game. Um, And Elite could go that way. Uh, Fleet Carriers feel like a bad implementation of that type of strategy in some ways um and it would be very very interesting to see what the the new update is what they are planning with the larger part of the team while the 25 people keep plodding away on the um game that stands at the moment um i just i always think that you know if a company invests money into another company uh, if people think that they don't have a say in how that company's run, uh, I very, very much doubt that uh, at this point in time. Uh, Unreal is a certain percentage owned by uh, a Chinese company. And Unreal still like says that they have 
independent and they're an independent um, engine. And I, I truly believe that at heart and sense they're an independent engine, but I also feel that they sit around a table with their investors and the investors say, we'd like to see this and we'd like to see this. And if people are investing money, they want to make a profit from their money. They don't return want to see investments. it. Absolutely, it's return on investment. Yep, there's yeah. no other reason for doing it. Exactly. And I, I feel that uh, this, so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something reasonably controversial, but I feel that the changes in elite that we're seeing are actually a reflection of what we're seeing in Star Citizen um, and, and also no, uh, no Man's Sky, to be honest. They're, they're seeing uh, things in both of these games and they're seeing the possibilities of developing these things as, as quick fixes or as quick as possible fixes. But the problems uh, with No Man's Sky is it's it's located in a box, as we've said, and so it has uh, limits, but I think those limits are quite beautiful in some ways. And with Star Citizen, it's at least, you know, uh, with, um, with lifetime passes and things like that in Elite uh, Dangerous, you actually got something. I know people in Star Citizen who have bought ships and they have never seen the ship. Um, and the concept art. No way. And the concept art disappeared <laughs> off the, uh, the website. But and, they and, don't have and, to you know, buy those ships, though, do they? they? They weren't told they had to buy. Nobody forced them to buy those ships. Whereas no, no. The, the, the lifetime pass was essentially a game pass. Mm. Uh, sorry, yes. go on. Sorry, I interrupted. No, no, it, it's 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 a fine interruption. Um, but uh, but at least you got something for your lifetime pass, which was more than a picture of a ship which has now been removed from a website. And you paid significantly less for it. I mean, uh, without going into uh, Robert Space Industries too deeply, you know, when you have a, a special dinner where you say, oh, you're the best players of um, uh, our game, uh, so you can pay to come to this special dinner. And people are reporting that there, weren't enough there wasn't enough bread and potatoes at the dinner. <laughs> I, I, I worry, but, but that's, a, that's a completely different subject. And it's to do with bread and potatoes. So back to Elite Dangerous, sorry. Do, 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 do you think that, um, I mean, you know, this, this, this leak that we had a few years ago, which seems to have been fairly much on the money ever since, um, mm -hmm. predicts the new era to be space legs, space building, and that's about it, really? Um, planetary building, that's planetary space. Planetary yeah. building, perhaps, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I reckon it's that. Yeah. I, I, mean, I, I don't see any particular... I have a reasonable uh, suspicion that, yes, space legs might be coming, um, but uh, I don't know. I... It's kind of a logical conclusion as well, because, you know, all of its peers have space legs and uh, Star Citizen uh, fa fan fanatics, whatever you want to call them, constantly say this in my videos, at least, you know, oh, well, why are you playing Elite Dangerous? It doesn't even have ability to get off your chair. Blah. Conveniently forgetting that basically there's no gameplay within the fucking Star Citizen. It's all fucking templates. Or placeholders. Oh yeah, I enjoy that. Mm. Yeah, this, this worries me about. Oh much. Because, I mean, it will be a novelty to get up and look around a Cobra Mark Three for a few minutes. Yeah. It will be a novelty to look around the space station for a few minutes, and it will be a novelty to look around the surface of an airless planet 
for a few minutes. And Just then, like it was a plenty landing, you mean? Yeah, oh. exactly. Yeah. And then I kind of wonder, okay, well, after a couple of hours of messing about, um, what, yeah, what there's no, there's there'd be no lobby system or or uh, unless they forced you to go to a room in a space station to pick up a mission, for example, to add more immersion. Immersion. Um, <laughs> there we go. If it gets in the way of the existing menus, will be really annoying. Um, and the only yeah. other content I can kind of think that they're going to be adding is a sort of first-person shooter type thing against the Thargoids. Space we've like... seen maybe some yeah, indications mm-hmm. that maybe Thargoids will be, you know, ambulating <laughs> around somewhere, and we can we can shoot them sort of um, Starship Trooper style. But um, my my concern with that is that there are plenty of FPS games out there, right? And they're not cheap things to develop either. No. Um, and you know. All credit to Frontier, they they have built some quite amazing things, but can they build into Elite's framework a an FPS? That engine is garbage. That, that it, probably yeah, not. That, can compete with a, an AAA plus title in FPS? I I can't see oh, that. Oh no. no! I also Does think that there's quite a lot of other things coming out which hit that thing like Everspace Two. Um, uh, which are very, very much designed for that sort of thing. Maybe they could mm. do something which would really, really excite the fans, like a, a fleet carrier dry dock, where you could build your own fleet carrier if you spent uh, money and resources for over five or six years. And then, you know, you, you'd have your own individual fleet carrier while other people had bought theirs. Um, that'd be exciting, wouldn't it? Mm. But you wouldn't. I, I, I think it's a real like shame if, if, if that's where it ends up going. It feels like Elite is following rather than trailblazing. And one of the things that... Elite, Elite has always followed. Well, I, yeah, I mean, Dangerous know, has always maybe, followed. Well, maybe Elite Dangerous, yeah, but the original Elites didn't. You know, the original oh, Elite... Of course not. It busted the whole, you know, three lives and you're out kind of arcade mm. coin-operated gameplay. That was the original Elite. It introduced the save game mechanic. Um, it introduced not having a score in the game. You, know, you just had money, right? Uh, it introduced that sort of improve yourself, play for weeks kind of dynamic. Frontier Elite 2 came up with the entire, not the entire galaxy really, but a reasonable facsimile of, on a single megabyte floppy disk, right? Frontier Elite 3 was the first one to bring a shaded solid field vector graphics and you know a, an interactive storyline with branching paths and all those kind of things. That was innovation, right? And Elite Dangerous has innovated, there's no doubt about it, but it feels now like it really isn't. It's following. And that, to me, is 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 not really the elite you know um raison d'etre if, if i could use a french phrase I can't there is a counter to it though so uh i mean yeah phil probably already knows knows this but uh you know you don't need the latest bestest uh stuff and and tech to make a good game now do you <laughs> That's true. That's true. I mean, there there are things. That, I mean, if Space Legs is coming, there are things they could do to make Space Legs more interesting. Um, so I played a game which sadly was abandoned, and it was a little bit overly complex. So I've simplified, and I've seen bits of it in Star Citizen. So um, give meaning to walking around your ship. You have to go out to repair a portion of your ship. Um, you w- might want to transfer some uh, a paper dossier to another ship and you have to do it via um, 
a transfer where you go out the airlock, you float across to another ship and you have to wake your way to the other uh, airlock. You have to go and repair a satellite and that involves getting a tool out and doing a sequence of repairs with this tool on the satellite. And they're things that are sort of useful gameplay and um, exactly how this Helion game works. And I, it, it, to a certain extent, that has been in Star Citizen. Plus, I want to see Space Legs because I want to see what the Force Cannon does to somebody in a spacesuit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just want to waggle my joystick. That's about it, you know. <laughs> that, that, that's all I really want. There we go. Just I, want, I want to have a look around the inside of a Cobra Mark III. I, I have to say. I in VR, <laughs> kind of you can. Yeah, Cockpit, that is. But um, but that's just a that's just a you know teenage wish list thing really more than anything else. But mm. um, you know I, I I the other problem with those things is yeah you know, I love the idea of potentially you know for example at the moment and it may be a deliberate choice right is when you're out exploring you can't fix everything on your ship because you know the the, the power plant is the only thing that you can't technically fix. That's about it. Everything else can be fixable. Yeah, that's right. And you have to bring a you know, limpet or whatever it happens to be to fix it. But it would be mm. quite nice if there were things like the hull that were difficult to fix unless you could get outside your ship and maybe weld a patch over it. So those sort of dynamics I can kind of see. But, you know, that can't operate in open mode, right? Because, you know, what, what happens in, in open mode when you're outside your ship trying to weld a patch onto the outside of the ship and somebody comes in and... <laughs> <laughs> shooting you up, right? What are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to run back into the airlock to get into the cockpit so you can fight back? That I don't doesn't... expect you to patch your ship. I expect you to die. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, you know, I, I don't see, I don't see the draw of it in the world of elite, and it, it feels a bit me too to like you say to No Man's Sky and Star Citizen, and I'd rather see elite blaze a trail you to use the marketing term in what elite was always famous for which was 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 spaceships right it was it was it's a spaceship game it's not a first person shooter it's not a platform game it's not a um it's not a spreadsheet manipulation game that's never what elite was um it was a tradey combat exploration type game it always has been um, and there's so much gap in the middle there that we've kind of already alluded to that could be filled with imaginative content. Um, and that seems to be the lack to me. That's my view. I mean, okay, fair enough. Um, if you think in those terms, I suppose. But uh, if Warframe, again, <laughs> if you will, has taught me one thing, then it's then basically that, yeah, you can basically force your players to accept the game how it is you know or how it's designed to or if you're you know continuing development on it then you can also play the sort of a well basically well take what the players are doing with the game and how they are using it or you know what they want and basically well make their vision come true rather than the designer's idea or get I don't know, games director's idea or something. Just to, you know, yeah, sure, you're catering to that player group that is essentially, or players uh, that are playing your game. But then again, you know, they're the ones that are playing it in a way. So 
Well, saying that our oh, elite's never been supposed to be this, well, guess what? It has become something completely, probably different. And uh, oftentimes, DJ has, uh, DJ, truth sayer, that is, uh, has, you know, said that uh, Frontier never expected Elite to be this successful in, you know, uh, as a multiplayer thing. They always kind of wanted it to be, relatively speaking, as a, you know, single player thing. So, yeah, there is that. Well,. <sighs> I don't know, evolution of a game over the time period. So, I don't know. Well, it's, it's I'd say it's better thing. to evolve with the community yeah. rather than to force your own ideals on it. In that the, sense, you think um, stuff like the, the background lore, community goals, those kind of things should just die a death because they were uh, officially... Not necessarily. I don't know. The, the, the thing with the story is that, um, well, it's it, it should adapt with the game rather than drive the game, in my opinion. Of course, it can set up the stuff, but, well, elites... The thing is, for me, unlike, you know, Drew, you know, I, I, I'm a typical player. I log in the game, I see something written, I don't care. Immediately. It's just, I don't care. What is game telling me as I'm playing about itself? is what I know. And Elite has been horrifyingly sparse with the story. As a matter of fact, the only piece of uh, lore that I knew about the Elite was basically just tutorial. <laughs> that, that chick that tells you that, oh, I'm going to help you. That's about it. <laughs> That's all I knew. That's all I cared about. And that is the lore for me as a super casual player. Because you see, I'm... I'm Again, I came from, you know, the, the more typical background of just more, I, I don't know, non-niche, more mainstream games, I guess. So, yeah, I was just going along my way and Elite completely failed to tell me anything about itself, its universe, its well, events, anything. Everything was written down and over time it just becomes... Oh, read Galnet for this news. Oh, follow Galnet for, you know, development of the story. And it's just like, no, just no, it's boring. And of course, later on, they put in, you know, some voice acted stuff, which was really nice. And then I got some sense of, oh, something's happening or something is interesting going on. But uh, those are just, you know, one-off stories, basically like uh, follow, you know, the, 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 the uh, what was it, the, the, the vault, uh, Sort of follow the break stories point. that's about it <laughs> so i don't know so yeah Ellie, when it comes out the story elite dangerous uh just the developers it didn't see or rather for developers it didn't seem important enough to make an un- organically told story along the way as you play you know uh it was just so secondary that you ah, you can write a paragraph or let an intern write a paragraph on galnet and boom we have such rich story it's, a, it's amazing in reality for someone like me it's like what there's story Wait, what are you talking about what story yeah. So I think I think somebody uh, mentioned in the chat when we were talking about the Fargoids that they did some YouTube videos and stuff like that to introduce ah, them. Yes. And 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 this this is also a, a problem about 
um, not understanding transmedia. And uh, if you want to try and do a transmedia thing, then uh, you really, really need to advertise that you're doing the transmedia thing. Like Drew's books are, are, are very, very clearly advertised within the uh, world of elite, and that's absolutely fantastic. But when you try and do things, then there's a very, very famous example in, in <coughs> excuse me, in the past which was a, a TV program uh, on Channel 4 in the UK called Misfits, which was about this bunch of uh, misfits who had sort of very mild superpowers. And it was a very, very clever series. But they completely lost a lot of their audience in the third season because uh, they developed a lot of the storylines through Twitter feeds that they never told anybody about. And if you don't oh, tell people about the other ways that you're trying to transmit the story of your universe then people won't engage with those uh, mediums to got, transmit uh, I mean, the story. I quite agree with that. I mean, having a story is one thing, and, and story is is an art, right? It's something you need, you know, um, clever people to put together and people with some talent, but, you know, that that is doable. I completely agree that you need things in the game that go and basically say, oi, there's, you know, shine the spotlight on the dog, or, you know, the, there's a side quest over here for you to go and interact with, right? Um, you, you need that in Elite, whether that, and they tried that a little bit with some of the sort of tip-off missions and various other bits and pieces, but they never, I, I think what they never did is they never reached a critical mass uh, with it. They didn't put enough effort in it to get it off the ground, and rather like a lot of the other initiatives in the game, things like multiplayer and CQC and things like that, which, you know, had some had some essence and even power play had some good aspects to them. They just let them wither, and you know, Galnet and CGs have, have, have fallen foul of that as well. And we we've we've heard them basically say, well, they they take time to do. Well, yes, they do. <laughs> if you want to do them well, you've got to invest in them, and then that will generate, you know, you, you the sort of stuff in it and. The, the lore and the story is is obviously very close to my heart, which you won't be surprised to hear. But um, the the thing is with Elite in particular, the thing that sets Elite Dangerous apart from all the other space games that it's now competing with, um, you know, for, for eyeballs today, is that it's got a legacy of, of content that stretches back 30 years. Um, and that means you've got history and real history in the game. Um, that you could you you could exploit if you were you know if you were smart um, to to bring in players and go uh, you know and get the mag the online magazine speculating what the heck's going to happen next because they've got this weird mystery I mean the Raxler thing right is is a good one now people are still talking about it even now now the problem with it and that we all kind of don't really want to say but we all kind of know it's true is that if they haven't actually done anything with it. Um, because there would be something, right? But wouldn't it have been great if they'd invested time in that story and that every so often, one month or every two weeks, whatever it happened to be, some wacky clue popped up and somebody went, there's another link to this weird chain of events. And maybe it is only like the lost TV series, right? It just keeps leading you along. But at least there'd be something that would, you know... Drew, but the funny thing here drive is... you back to the content of the game. But, you know, imagine... And there is a big high possibility right now, knowing the Frontier's MO, you know, put in a big puzzle in the game or what else and not tell anyone that it's there or that it has tools to solve it or something like that. Uh, and, and and I think Raxley is basically the same thing. We apparently know that, uh, you know, Raxley is in the game. 
How to yep. find it? We, we, were we were certainly told that. I was told that to my face. So I, you know, I can't say that I wasn't told that because I was. Yeah. One of the interesting um, mechanics of, like, I don't know if everyone has played Skyrim or not, but the oh, mission yes. mechanics in Skyrim always impressed me because it was based on, you know, the, um, I think, Phil, I think you mentioned this when we started talking about gateway um, yeah, the yeah. mechanics around you've got five items on the table I'm going to cover the, the the table up and take one away and that's how the kind of sort of system works you're always collecting a potato to take it to somewhere else in white run to give it to some person randomly uh, named in the tavern in white run kind of sort of thing and elite never got round to building a mission structure where it could have randomized so many different elements it would have been the same mission but the feel of the mission would have been completely different because it randomized so many different elements. And, and and it always felt like it was part of that grind, pick up five canisters, go to there, drop it off, pick up five more, come back. And that, and I think, is the... There's no variety well, in that. And yeah, that's I'm not sure big, that's a big disappointments from... from, from that? Yeah, that's one of the big disappointments, I think, from the, the vision of the game. Because we had this... Back in the Kickstarter, I mean, everything was hype and, 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 and glory back in the Kickstarter days, right? But one of the things I remember thinking is th these are the people who gave us a procedurally generated universe on an 8-bit computer. Yeah. These are the people who put a reasonable representation of the entire Milky Way in a one megabyte floppy disk. What the hell are these guys going to be able to do with a modern PC, right? Um, you know, and I was hoping for something like that, a procedurally generated mission mechanism which could create procedurally a vast variety of mission mechanics that would lead you onwards through the game if you wanted to interact with it um in some amazing way now maybe that was maybe that was too ambitious a uh you know a, a dream but um i don't even know if they tried that to be honest again i don't i don't think it is i think it's about the technology that you have available to you so uh when theo and me were working on gateway um uh, i proposed a system so that and I don't, I'm not going to go into it in detail because um, uh, I'm talking to another company about it at the moment. Where you go into a, uh, you go into an area, and slowly, depending on what you want to explore or what you want to engage in, this um, uh, this slowly unraveling story of either the system or the station or other things going on in the universe starts to unravel, and you start to actually trigger the missions that come straight up on the player HUD when they arrive in the system. Uh, those missions are the ones which have been the things that they've last been exploring. Now they can go into their computer on the ship and say, oh, I want just random missions or things like this. But the missions will try and tailor for what the player's playing and therefore the player will explore that more deeply while still being involved in the system. But another thing that we were talking about in Gateway was exactly the stuff that you were talking about, Drew, about having a much, much smaller bubble so that we controlled where the players were going and how the players were expanding out. And then, uh, as Natalie was saying, uh, having that gate system so that you could only get through gates to certain locations. So you went from, like, point hub to point hub and you controlled the player expansion. And it... It, but coming back to what we were um, just saying, um, it, 
I still think Elite Dangerous could have a very good story integrated on top of it. I don't think that it's actually that hard and with the background there. And the way that you could um, start off that story in a way that you could engage all the players in some uh, form is to have something like Corollis being decommissioned. And then most of the players, you just say, it's going to happen at this time on your server you get this is your only chance to see it getting decommissioned you do a really nice decommissioning thing and then you start the story there so suddenly then messages come in or something like that and the players are just like oh hang on there's something more here and there's been a reason to gather here but even the players who don't manage to gather because people will make youtube videos of it because they will um even the players who don't manage to gather will realize that something's happening there and go to that system to pick up the quests and the missions which they can expand out from. So I I, I truly think that with a little bit of thought um, and actually without realistically uh, adding much more artistic content or things like this, you could do something really, really special with Elite Dangerous. And, and I, I think that all of us would really, really love to I, see I'm, something I'm, like I would, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that as a developer <laughs> because I think, I think it's... You know, we've seen. I mean, I've you know, I've tried in the past. I've I've done some bits, and other people have tried. And Frontier have tried, but it doesn't feel to me like they've tried hard enough, and they've kind of drifted away from that as a thing that they want to do in the game at the moment. And I certainly subscribe to the view that if if with some dedicated planning, um, lots of creativity, um, you you could you could indeed generate something like that because we don't need more ships we don't need more graphics we don't need more sound effects at this stage those are great you know those things exist what we have is a vast procedurally generated universe as 400 million stars in which according to galnet absolutely nothing is happening at all yes <laughs> yeah um, you know and it's just it's just you know, the, uh, the, the emphasis is wrong to me it's it's like you've got this amazing you know mural to paint and you're you know you're filling in the dots and the eyes on the copyright statement in the bottom right corner that you know it um sort of str <laughs> as a writer i'm struggling for words to kind of explain what i mean but that you know we we, we you know another ship is is interesting for a moment right but then everyone gets it and that's it you know the the amount of time it takes a designer and a coder and a developer to create a new asset in a in a game particularly with elite having set its bar quite a long way up the photorealism scale right is 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 big it takes a long time to create an asset um whereas if you work with the existing assets that you already have and wrap those into story content you can make some very compelling gameplay without having to burn any dev time at all other than maybe you know tweaking the mission system and and, and putting text in the game and maybe doing a bit of recording with voice actors and stuff um there's a whole untapped thing there i think in terms of what they could have been doing with all these development hours um and yet we end up with two and a half years after it was first announced a fleet carrier that um kind of doesn't work <laughs> it's a wet fart yeah well i think um with uh 
with missions, I think the problem I've always found with missions, one of the things that let me drift away a bit from Elite this last year was that although there's this fantastic story behind Elite and there's the one of this wonderful voice acting, it always felt disjointed and the Galnet News articles I've seen mentioned in chat and they were there, but they were a chore to read. And even though you could get them read out to you, there was no connection to the game and the story that was engaging. And then the story might say, oh, there's some story content and there's, there's an attack in a system. And it's like, yeah, but it's just a conflict zone. Yeah. And it's the same yeah. as what we are all alluding to is game. essentially handcrafted experiences rather than letting the beep boop computer do all the work for you with the procedurally generated algorithms and stuff. Not See, when it comes down to coders, actually, I've noticed a lot with actually quite a uh, quite a lot of games these days, especially with the procedural generation stuff, right? It seems that, oh yeah, all the coding, are, the coders are so proud of their coded, you know, procedural uh, algorithms, which, which are impressive, say, which will from time to time, depending on the game. But uh, they just kind of forget the fact that they also create just so much crap that just, it, it's a good filler, sure, there's but it's no substitute for handcrafted unique experience. It, it, it isn't, but the um, but but also um, one of the real problems that Elite Dangerous had is it it did far too much exposition of every organization and every character when you first met them. It's just like I expect to, for that type of thing to slowly unfold. And I was looking at some of like the mission texts and going, you're telling me far too much about these organizations. I'd much like prefer to work for this organization for 50, 60 missions before I start going, I think that you're selling munitions. And I think I'm like, <laughs> being a part of that and that isn't the one thing that I want to do and that's just about dividing that up it's about reducing the exposition immediately and like and, and putting it into small chunks I mean it's what I do I'm a, I'm a narrative designer as well and it's what I do in uh, MMOs I've, I've done it really really successfully and dragged the players along because they really really want to know what's happening and how these things are going to resolve and you because they've engaged. started to get that inkling yeah and if you engage, there's, there's two other bits to me to that is, is, you know, to have some characters that are persistent and memorable, right? So the people mm-hmm. who are giving you the missions are people that you either are, okay, well, what, what, what disguise motivations for doing this? You know, there's something a little bit, yeah, and you get a sense that something's not right. Yeah, the munitions thing is great. Like maybe you do four missions for them and you haven't been smuggling anything that you think is, you know, a bit dodgy, or maybe it's morally ambiguous early on, right? And then suddenly you said, you need to you need to transport these, and you need to do it now. Um, well, I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't transport guns. And they said, well, if you if you don't transport these, then this bad thing's going to happen the moment you leave the space, <laughs> right? So you you're left with a moral ambiguity. What the hell am I going to do, right? Okay, I've, I've been suckered in here because he's been giving me easy money, and now I'm in debt to him. Effectively, I've got a moral, you know, I've got you know, I've got that emotional baggage with this character in the game, and I'm now in a moral dilemma. Do I do the right thing or do I do the wrong thing? And you know that is an emotional connection to the game, which is kind of like, oh no, now I'm now and I've got to make a decision, and it, it will be wrong either way because I know what the game's going to do to me, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> but that is that is compelling, and it's also yeah. Uh, and I have tried this a little bit, you know, with some of the missions have got, you know, you'll be taking medical supplies from A to B, and then halfway to B, you'll get a call saying those medical supplies were stolen from point C. We want them back, but we can only pay you half as much, right? So. 
those sort of things are, are, you know can can be done even within the you know programmatic um, mission mission giving to give players a bit of kind of a stake in the fact that they are they're making a decision for good or for ill and you know they can question their morals internally as they're playing yeah i mean i think you're right on the emotion side of things certainly you need to feel like something's happening so for instance if you had a mission um in game and you talked about come to this site there's a station getting struck um getting blown up what if the mission is to save a station or something or an object or a carrier um in the game but that it's eminently possible for that to fail. And the missionary lasts a couple of hours rather than community goals that go on for days and days and days. And you get a sense that if you don't get enough ships to the location, you are going to fail and you are going to lose. Because one of the things about Elite is that there there is no risk to losing. You yeah, go to a conflict zone yeah. and you just sit there in a ship with stupid amounts of shields and you know that you just go shoot, 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 collect bounties, great. I just, it, I feel nothing. But it's like if I play a game of World of Warships, I could lose that game. And I have to use my skill to help turn that game to a win. And there's, there's just seems to be nothing like that in Elite now. It's just like, go to this point, do this, go to this point, grind an asteroid. Um, where, where is the dangerous in the game? It's not dangerous at all. Apart from it's in the open that you don't play, weapons. you scrubs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't play it open. Come to open, but, uh, Well, yes, I'll get told come to open it, but but that's only one sense of the risk, and also I've, there's nothing wrong with creating risk in an, a PVE environment for people where they they feel. For example, I know it was a failed um, attempt where Frontier had the actual attack of the Tharkoids on the stage. I know there was terrible announcements. I know they screwed up the time. But if we put all that to one side and look at that idea, launching from a station that was under attack. Uh, me getting hit by Thargoids, my ship shields getting drained as soon as I'm coming off the docking bay was exciting. So we have rescue missions. So why can't I go in in a passenger ship under fire from whatever's attacking the station and rescue passengers? I can go into the hot, steamy station. That's a bit exciting. But when I come out, oh, it's just normal traffic and a station with flashy lights on the outside. Where's the ships attacking? Where's the chunks flying off the station? That it's in the trailer. <laughs> trailer my friend <laughs> but you get what i'm saying also corpses flying in space also yeah that remember yes. that yes that, that that stuff it's only in the trailer because we Oscar. all know we can't put that in but but it's uh, chinese ain't uh, gonna like it <laughs> going back to the original elite natalie they the, the that was the risk i remember um after sort of ages of having a docking computer and just like arriving at a station and pressing a button and off we went when my ship's docking computer was like destroyed and it was a really expensive ship smashing that into the docking bay of a station because i'd forgotten how to dock was one of those really really annoying things but it was also that risk that i knew what i was doing and then it was just like the wrong time and i should have just left the ship outside or done something but i, I like that I, I i felt that the original elite really really you you got the bang for your buck basically in uh in fret um and the frets going on and again in such a small amount of uh space they've managed to make every transfer a risk and everything that you did uh, has to even the easy journeys 
Yeah, yeah sorry, I'm just typing away. Um, I, I was going back to the uh, procedural uh, generated stuff because um, I've had a couple of conversations in, in that. Um, one of the really interesting things, going back to uh, Skyrim, but one of the other interesting things are in a procedurally generated mission and also the background sim. Um, I don't know if anyone's played Shadow of Mordor, um, but that had a really interesting way of having or injecting life into the NPCs. And although the game world is not exactly the same size as, as Elite Dangerous, and Elite Dangerous is absolutely massive, the the ability to give NPCs a bit more uh, life and character and a, and a sense of mission and purpose actually exists. I mean, that was something else that we explored for, for Gateway um, when I was talking to another sort of data science and machine learning team is actually mining what people are doing and then almost in, infusing that into NPC behavior as an adaptive thing. So when you see ships taking off and things like that, you knew that they were actually carrying cargo from one area to another, or they had actually accepted the mission, or someone was actually waiting in the background to fuck up your mission, because then there would be cause and effect and consequence. And that's that goes back to Natalie's point about the lack of danger and threat, is that there wasn't really any real consequence to failing a mission other than, oh, you'll get a wee demotion on your, um, on your friendly status. You'll see your bar go down by a little red dot, um, or you, you won't get, you, you know, you'll be docked 5,000 credits instead of making 20,000 credits. And the reputation system in Elite really didn't add any extra dimension to the threat level or the sense of consequence for actually failing something or even having something failed from an outside perspective. So not just a player blowing you up just for, you know, for the hell of it. And then you failed that mission, but also, an, you know, an NPC that wasn't, programmed randomly um you know rnd jesus i think you used to call it yamix rnd jesus rnd jesus yes <laughs> oh hell rnd jesus yes but you also you know you kind of felt that the interdiction stuff was just basically you know i roll a dice and i popped a six and i'm going to get interdicted today you know because i'm carrying the right amount of um slaves or whatever for this particular mission but there was no sense of consequence around that because it didn't really have any effect because the background simulation was was never really a simulation to begin with either because it was always dev-injected events and a dev had to manually tweak the the, the sort of knobs and, uh, and and levers to make things happen. And that again, that goes back to... Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. smoke and mirrors. I mean... You know, we had the Thargoids come along and first they scanned you. But can you imagine if it got more and more sinister each time? So the second time they came along and found you, it was like the Borg cutting being cut into your ship and cut one of your weapons off. You know, mm. it, it, that, that's all it, it was. That's, that's all that happened. It scanned you. And then what did we do? Well, we're humans. We attacked them. Yeah. And did they do anything? No, they just blew up. And oh, yeah, I remember developers saying that, oh, we could be potentially friend or foe with them. You know, the player actions would drive how we perceive Targoids and what happened. Uh, well, uh, there was really no way to be friends with them. I mean, besides dropping a cargo, which was more bothersome than just shooting them, obviously. So it was so slanted towards that one type of a gameplay that developers expected. It can be done well, but to present it as an equal chance opportunity, 
<laughs> no, that's so dis- disingenuous yeah, that's... that I fucking hated it to this day, really. There were, there were, you know, David Braben was on one of the streams, wasn't he, early at that, before the Thargoids turned up with the kind of winter is coming quote, which, you know, maybe was a bit ill-advised because it, you know, gave an expectation of something absolutely, you know, apocalyptic was about to come over the hill in terms of, you know, the Thargoids and stuff. And, yeah. um, you know, when they arrive, they're, you know, they're, they're effectively a cut scene and then optional content following that, which, you know, for what was, again early on was um, you know, portrayed as, you know, we're not going to do the alien invasion trope in the normal sort of sense. Here come the alien killing machines and they're insecty and they're glistening and they're alien-esque and, you know, they want to eat us and capture our women and take them away. You know. <laughs> so basically they're making <laughs> you do in 3D, huh? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's not what we wanted, right? And that's not what we were promised. Um, and um, when the Thargoids are... Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, they, yeah, they're, they're well done in the sense that they're quite interesting to look at and stuff. But at, at the end of the day, they're sort of faceless um, alien machines. We don't know where they've come from. We don't know where their home world is. We don't know what agenda they have. Um, you know, we don't... Um, I've, just, I've just seen that. They're all female. I, <laughs> <laughs> I made a wonderful video about how to copulate with them. So, you know, there's a potential for that as well. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, There's and a chance. Early on, I mean, I was, I was, I was privy to the, you know, the, the background lore on the Thargoids long before it was made public, and you know, and they went into vast depth about the fact that they lived on ammonia worlds, and they, they, they operated at a temperature that was far lower than what humans experienced, and etc., etc., etc. Lots of cool background stuff that's never ever been used to any gameplay end, right? Yeah. Um, all we have is a bunch of greeny alieny ships in space that shoot stuff at you, and. You know, you have hey, to go. Hey, no, it's not just a ship. It's a it's a boss battle. Okay, it's a well made boss battle, but it's just that that's it. That that's what targoids are. A and boss that's not battle from the original game at all. You know, they were a boss battle in the original game, which is where they came from. Um, mm. Very very similar, actually, in many ways. You know, you you end up in a place where you're alone against the thargoids. They don't like you very much, and they shoot you to pieces. You know, that's which space? space. Which yeah. space? Um, that was the that was the original thing. That's how they turned up. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, so much for this, they're going to be very, very different. Um, well, they weren't. They were just the, the same old, you know, different life form, you know, not quite, you know, they're alien-esque, insect-y, arthropod-y type life forms that we've seen everywhere else in every other sci-fi movie ever since. Um, and they're wandering through space and they sometimes kill us. But we, you know, is there territory nearby? Is it beyond the Pleiades? Is it... You know, what are they trying to achieve? We have no, we have no understanding of that at all being given to us by the game. So that, from a kind of, who are the Thargoids? We 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 know nothing more. Uh, which is we know where the Thargoids live. They live in that part of the galaxy that we can't go to. The call. Oh yeah, permit locked systems. The permit locks. permit locks came down. Mm, lovely. Um, totally not cheap out. Yep. No. 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 Not at all. No. Yep. Guys, I'm conscious that we're up to the two hour mark and. Um, we've all got well, probably all want a bit of a gin or a glass of wine okay um, right well that wraps it up for docking request tonight for uh, its <laughs> inaugural car crash episode um, I'm going to stop the live stream now so thanks for everyone for uh, joining um, this will be uh, punted up on YouTube um, after uh, after we do some cutting and editing 